Hey everyone, let's ramble for a little bit. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Theological Ramblings. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Janish, and I have with me my co-hosts, Pastor Tom Fricke. Hello there. And Pastor Ross Henze. Hello, everyone. So today we're talking about the ninth and 10th commandment, and I just have a little story to introduce uh, these commandments. I have an old leather briefcase that used to belong to my grandpa, and I used it a few times when I was in seminary. So the first time I walked into class with this briefcase, one of my classmates says, Hey, Janish, nice briefcase. You're making me break the ninth and 10th commandments. Now, he was joking, but from this story, Tom, could you explain what he meant? How was he breaking the ninth and 10th commandment? Well, of course he was joking, so I'm not sure he was really breaking either one of the commandments, but to covet, uh, the idea that's there behind each of the commandments is to have a sinful desire for something God hasn't given you, to want something that you shouldn't want to have. And uh, it's really kind of rooted in a deep-seated discontent. I'm unhappy with the things that I have. He might have been telling you that uh, just looking at what you've got, Phil, makes me feel sad that I've got whatever it is that I'm using for a briefcase, my sorry excuse for a briefcase now, and I'm going to have to go buy something new. And maybe he was right. Maybe he is uh, expressing some discontent that there, that's there in his heart. As long as we're talking about this, too, we should maybe mention that there is a distinction between the Ninth and the Tenth Commandments. It's good to keep in mind the Ninth Commandment talks about coveting things, uh, inanimate objects, things that don't have any life in them. And the Tenth Commandment uh, is things that have legs or things that are animate, things like people and animals coveting something like that. So there is a distinction between those two commandments. Yeah, thank you very much, Tom. So as we're talking about this, we can say that in society, we do legislate morality. We say you can't punch somebody in the face or else the police are going to come arrest you for battery. Uh, We say you can't steal your neighbor's lawnmower or else the police are going to come arrest you for stealing. Um, But in what ways do the ninth and 10th commandment demonstrate that God's law demands much more than our societal laws? Ross, please respond. I think in societal laws, we would say the law really isn't broken until you actually do it. Until so if... You know, I in that lawnmower that is out there, you know, it. Uh, I may want it, but until I go take it and move it off someone else's property, you know, now I've officially broken the law. And in God's commands in the ninth and 10th commandment, that sin begins the moment I look at that and I scheme or imagine or even fantasize that I want that. 
and, and I want to go get that from you. I haven't actually gone out and done it, but I even thought about it. And so that, that's really what God is emphasizing, even that, that desire or coveting of wanting to get something that God has not given me, and then how can I get it from someone else is really um, the essence of the Ninth and Tenth Commandments. Yeah, thank you. And so Jesus also showed that he was concerned not only with our outward actions, but as the ninth and 10th commandment talk about our attitudes of the heart and our desires. So um, Tom, we'll let you go first. Could you remind the audience of some words of Jesus that showed he was concerned with the attitudes of the heart? The place that I turn to immediately when I think about Jesus talking about contentment is in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, do not worry. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. Everything else is going to take care of its, it, it, itself. So in, as he leads up to that verse, he says, do not worry. Do not worry about your body, the things that you're going to eat or the things that you're going to drink. Don't worry about your, your clothes. Don't worry about how you're going to take care of yourself the Lord takes care of the flowers in the field. He takes care of the birds in the air. He's going to take care of you. And that's where Jesus, uh, I think, especially addresses this topic in a very thorough kind of way. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Ross, anything you'd like to add? Uh, one thing that I, I would, I think, speaks to this subject is in Matthew chapter 15 where we're told for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, uh, false testimony, and slander. So, you know, th this sin starts from within, and then it leads to a, a sinful action. A sinful thought then leads to a sinful action. Another one is, uh, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So, uh, isn't that amazing? Um, the things that are really important to us, we always manage to find time to do the things that are important to us. Uh, and that's kind of what he's emphasizing there, I believe. Yeah. So with this commandment, we might say that we are encouraged to nip sin in the bud. Uh, here's a passage from the Apostle James. He says, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it go, gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. So with that verse, God is telling us that we have to watch out for these sinful desires because they fester and grow and have the potential to produce more sin. So Ross and Tom, could you remind the audience of maybe some Bible stories where this happened, where coveting or a sinful desire led to greater and greater sin? Well, Ross, we'll let you respond first. I think it's amazing when we begin to talk about this subject and, you know, we've got all of these stories that are and these true accounts that are found in Scripture that speak to this very thing. And it helps to bring home the truth in, in words that we can understand. For example, David and Bathsheba is probably the first one that comes to my mind. And that's, uh, you know, David sees this beautiful woman bathing. He desires her, calls for her. And then he, so he has lust, then it leads to adultery, then it leads to murder. And, 
and he ends up uh, making sure that Bathsheba's husband is put out of the way so that he can now go marry Bathsheba. Uh, there are many others. There's Naboth's vineyard where Ahab and Jezebel schemed, or actually Jezebel schemed to get the vineyard of Naboth. And I'll give you just one more. I think of um, King Saul. And King Saul looked at, at, at David and saw the popularity of David and became so incensed he tried to chase him down and kill him. Uh, simply because David had become so popular when he himself was king. Yeah, those were some great examples. Tom, do you have any that you'd like to add? Well, to pick up on the life of King David, his son Absalom absolutely coveted David's kingdom and set about to make it his business to try to unseat his father from his throne to the point that it led to a rebellion and an internal civil war of sorts, a very short one, but it caused a great deal of stress and problem there too. And I think we're seeing a pattern here, this discontent, this covetousness, in the cases that we've talked about here have been among people who already had a lot of stuff. Uh, this is not a sin that is committed by people who don't have a few things only. It's a sin that affects people who have a lot of things as well. Uh, you can be poor and be discontent with the fact that you don't have much, and you can be rich and be discontent with the fact that you don't have even more. Uh, another example of this, you can go all the way back to the third chapter of the Bible. You can go back to Adam and Eve uh, being discontent with what it was that God had, even though their life was absolutely perfect. And the sin, uh, the very first sin of the world was not merely reaching out, taking the apple or the fruit and eating of that fruit, it was already starting in the hearts of both Adam and Eve when they desired something more than what God had given to them. They were unhappy with the perfection that God had given to them. They wanted something besides. Yeah. I think you guys mentioned all the examples I was thinking. The ones that came to mind were uh, David and Bathsheba and uh, Ahab. So that was great. The only other one that popped into my mind as we were talking uh, is Abraham and Lot dividing the land. Um, that was actually a good example where, um, you know, their flocks were too many to stay together. And so Abraham yielded and Lot kind of demonstrated his selfishness and picked the best land. But Abraham said, you know what, that's fine. Um, I'll, I'll go where you don't go. So, all right. So Ross and Tom, you know, we've been talking about desires. Um, but what is the difference between wanting something and coveting? Because I don't think every desire we have is, by its nature, sinful. So when does that desire become sinful? We'll let Tom respond first. It's a little bit hard to know exactly. I guess I could start out maybe by saying when the grass is starting to look greener on the other side. And you know that that's not necessarily the case. When the desire begins to consume your heart, when it leads you to feel that you're no longer happy, content, satisfied with the things that God has given to you. I, I might add here too that uh, if you take a look at the kind of advertising that we have surrounding us in our culture today, that's really what advertising is designed to do in so many ways is to create a desire 
for something that you don't have, perhaps in some cases, to create a, a desire that you might not ever have been thinking about uh, for a need that you, you maybe did not recognize was a need before, and now it suddenly appears to you to be a kind of a need. It's maybe not a bad idea to, to do a little exercise and spot the lie when you're watching ads on TV. So, for example, a beer commercial might be uh, depicting a certain kind of scene, and it makes you feel as though, okay, drink beer, you look good if you're drinking this particular brand of beer. It, it's a style, lifestyle choice that's going to be an attractive lifestyle choice. Well, maybe not necessarily true. Yeah. Ross, anything you'd like to add? When, what, how do we distinguish between just simply desiring something and when does this desire become sinful? I think it's important to note that there isn't anything wrong with wanting. There isn't anything wrong with saying I would like to get this new house or this new job or this new car. There's nothing wrong with working very hard and diligently to be able to accomplish and to attain many of these wants that we have. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. The problem comes in is, let's say I want a new car or a house or this job and, and I didn't get the promotion. The, the guy next to me got the promotion. Even though I really, really worked hard to get it, he got it over me. Now it becomes, you know, you start to cross that line as, all right, I really hope this guy messes up so that, you know, I can get that job in his place. Where you're, you're, you're beginning to think and scheme and fantasize about, I want what I don't have. And that's where we cross the line. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, guys. That was some great insight. The only thing I'll add, I thought this was good. My uncle told me this once. He said, um, you know, a, a good way to think about what's the difference between desire and coveting is, does it bother you? You know, if it's if it bothers you that you don't have something, you know, that's that's kind of a warning sign, you know, that uh, you're getting getting away from just a simple desire. And if it consumes you like that, where you're like, oh, I'm really upset and it bothers me that I don't have this thing. Um, he said uh, that that's sometimes a good warning sign. All right. So um, it, it's been said that ultimately all sins are a sin against the first commandment. So can you draw a connection between these commandments and the first commandments and the first commandment? In other words, when I covet something of my neighbors, whether it's his property or his job or his position in life, what am I really saying about God when I do that? Russ? I think we break that first commandment when, of course, the first commandment is, you know, God is number one. And I think when we, we break that, when we begin to covet and we begin to think, you know what, God, I know better than you do. And I'm capable of getting or working out all of my own blessings for myself or I don't need you, God. I, I can get this all on my own. Mm -hmm. And you begin to, you know, just kind of bypass God because he's not working for us the way we want. And I'm going to go get it, whatever it is that I want, 
we've just not only broken the ninth and tenth commandment, we've also broken the first commandment. Yeah. One way I like to say it too is when we're coveting, essentially we're saying, God, you're not good. God, you're not good because you haven't given me this thing. And then so we go towards the actions that you described. I'm going to get it without you, God. Yeah. So it, it, it ultimately all sins are sins against the first commandment. And that's kind of how the ninth and tenth commandment connect. So in the explanation to the ninth and tenth commandment, Luther says we should not try and obtain our neighbor's property by show of right. So that's maybe a little bit uh, archaic language. So Tom, what would be some examples in our day and age of trying to obtain a person's property by a show of right? Uh, a show of right, I think, is actually a, a pretty descriptive phrase and maybe still worth using today, but it does need some explanation, as you indicated, that getting somebody's property in a way that may seem to be legal or maybe is legal, but it isn't really ethical. It's, I do something shady, but I try to make it look right. So an example of that might be telephone scams, uh, where the individual who's making the call is representing something in one way, but it's designed simply to get your money. Uh, selling a used vehicle, overpricing things, or withholding some significant information about what's wrong with the vehicle in the sale, misrepresenting things on eBay that you're trying to sell, or in a little different kind of way, trying to convince an elderly relative to, to alter the will in your favor. All of these things would be examples of what we would call a show of right. Yeah, thank you. Ross, did you have anything you wanted to add? When I, I saw that question, the first thing that came to my mind is, you know, I'm going to, all right, you need some money, all right, I'll, I'm going to charge you 80% interest, or, um, you know, I'm going to try and take advantage of you that yeah. way. Or another example might be, uh, you know, I'm going to sell you this house, and okay, so I'm, or I've got this deal in place, and as soon as the deal's over, you're going to discover that, hey, wait a minute, I didn't get what actually I thought I was getting, and then you walk away, you know, uh, benefiting from it, where you're taking advantage of someone, uh, either their naivety or their lack of understanding. Uh, again, you're, you're breaking that commandment. Yeah, thank you. All right, so why might the Ninth and Tenth Commandment be very important for we Americans to discuss? Ross, why don't you take that one? Well, I think it's so very obvious is that we live in a very materialistic society. Uh, we have a standard of living that is really second to none. And it was mentioned about taking a look at, at television and, hey, you can go get this. If you want to be somebody, you can go get this. And... So it's always this attempt to make yourself better, to one-up the person next to you, keeping up with the Joneses, so on and so forth. One thing, uh, maybe on a more practical side, is you know I, I do talk to young couples when they come in to get married, and we begin talking about you know as they start off their marriage, you know, I begin to talk to them. Well, you know, I've got to get this, and I've got to get this, and I got to get this. And I think, to a certain extent, they grew up in a house where there were a lot of things. 
And what I try to lead them to understand is that maybe when you start off in a marriage, you don't need to have all of those things right away. You grew up with all of those things because mom and dad, after 25 years of marriage, were able to attain many of those things. So, you know, instead of, you know, maxing out your credit cards and, and trying to get all of this stuff, maybe start off a little simpler and then God will bless you as you go along. So it's just that innate or inbred materialistic emphasis that is so prevalent in our society and it just weighs on us. Yeah, well said. So throughout our discussion on the commandments, we have mentioned that there's a positive side of the commandment. For example, the fifth commandment says, do not murder. So obviously we know we're not supposed to kill or harm our neighbor. But the positive side of the commandment is that I go out and I be kind and helpful to my neighbor. I do my best to make sure his bodily needs are met. So we've mentioned this a couple times. So we've hinted at it. But what would we say the positive side of the ninth and tenth commandment is? What's the opposite of coveting? And Tom, we'll let you take that one. I would simply say be happy. Be satisfied with the things that the Lord has given to you. Make happiness your goal. You don't need to have a lot of stuff in order to be content. I think about my son. One of my sons uh, took some time to do some Spanish study, an immersion course. He was in Costa Rica. He stayed with a host family for four or five weeks, and they did not have a lot of stuff. And one of the things that he learned was not just Spanish, while he was there talking with these people, he also learned that they were very content, even though they were very poor people. And it, I think, is a good life lesson for us to, to learn, that we can learn to be content with the things that we have. What is going to make us uh, feel content? Well, we put our trust in the Lord. So I think it's good for us to maybe ask the question, do I really need a bigger truck? Do we really need to move to a fancier home? Do I need a new set of golf clubs? These kinds of questions. The answer might be yes, but it is also good for us to ask, you know, why am I desiring of this kind of a thing? What's making me discontent with the things that I have? Yeah, very good. Um, so the opposite C word of coveting, as you mentioned, Tom, is contentment. And uh, you explained it well, being happy and satisfied with the things that God has given us. And so let's talk about the Apostle Paul, because the Apostle Paul admits that this was a journey for him. He confesses in Romans chapter 7, he says he would not have known what coveting was if God's law had, had not said, do not covet. And then he admits that his sinful nature produced in him all sorts of covetous desires. So he, he admits it straight up that he struggled with this. But then we find out in Philippians chapter 4, Paul says he has learned the secret of being content. So he went through this journey from covetousness to content. So Ross and Tom, what do you think Paul's secret was? How did he learn to be content or what truths of scripture did he have to take to heart in order to gain this attitude of contentment? We'll give Ross the opportunity to speak first. Well, I think, as Paul said, it was 
recognizing that he didn't even know that coveting was a sin until he saw it in God's in God's word. And then after he saw that, he began to put two and two together and recognized, hey, this this desire that I've had for something that's actually coveting and that's wrong. Um, I would probably come back and say that for Paul, this he would probably admit, as I would admit, it's it's uh, certainly haven't perfected, you know, the whole concept of contentment. But as you begin that life journey, you begin to see that no matter what, God has still provided for me, hasn't he? Uh, he is still taking care of me, no matter what it might be. Uh, I personally, you know, from time to time, I, I'll readily admit, I, I wish I had things or better things than I currently have. Boy, wouldn't that be great if I, you know, didn't have to worry about retirement because I had bazillions of dollars. And it wouldn't be nice to you know, vacation somewhere here or there. All those different kind of things that a lot of us have. So I can't say that I've especially perfected it. But when you begin to take an honest look at what actually do I have? You know, I have, guys, I got two or three drawers that are just filled with socks. <laughs> you know, I, I am blessed, am I not? I, I, I have got so much more than what I need. And I think that's what Paul did, is he realized the secret to being of content. With, and he said this, whether I'm well-fed or not, God continues to take care of me. He has always taken care of me. He has promised that he will continue to take care of me. And so he was able to say at the end of Philippians, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I'm confident that God is going to continue to bless me. And I think that's, that's you don't get that contentment just like with a snap of your fingers. But I think if you have that life experience and you sit back and you look at from where I am, from where I was to where I am now, through this wonderful journey filled with potholes from time to time, one thing can we always count on? God is there, isn't he? And he provides for us. And I can be content with what God has given me. Yeah. Tom, anything you'd like to add? The key to all of this is the, the simple word trust. I mean, you've got heaven. You've got the Lord who has promised he's going to continue to be with you throughout your time here in this world, just understand that. And understand you, if you've got your basic needs, God's going to provide for you. There's a reason why the Lord taught us in the Lord's Prayer uh, to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Not to give us our bread uh, for the next several years into the future so that we can store it up and make sure that we're secure apart from you, God. It's, it's give us this day, Lord, our daily bread. And when we pray that prayer in that spirit, then we're trusting in the Lord. Yeah, yeah, thank you. So, um, as long as we're talking about this journey uh, in contentment, what are some of your favorite Bible passages that uh, help you practice contentment, you know, or maybe comfort you a lot so that you're able to try and gain this spirit of contentment. Uh, Tom, we'll let you go first on that one. The first one that comes to mind for me is in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, where the writer to the Hebrews says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I also think about what St. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. 
In other words, if you want to feel as though you are the wealthiest person in the world, don't seek to get more things or have more money. Just be content with the things that you already have that God has given to you. Mm-hmm. Ross, what are, what are some of your favorite passages about this? Well, the one that comes to mind right away is, uh, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And it's just that reminder that we just manage, you know, the blessings that he has given us. Everything belongs to God, and he is the one who hands out his blessings to us as he sees fit. And I think if we're all being honest, we are extremely, extremely blessed. And every now and then we need that little tune-up. We need that little reminder about that. And then I would, I would come back to the passage that, that Tom had mentioned earlier about the lilies of the field or, or the birds of the air. You think about that. Birds don't go store up big, huge barns full of food to get them through the winter. Every day they go out and they forage for food and God still takes care of them. And so he comes back and he says, look, if I can take care of the lilies of the field and the birds of the air, don't you think I'm going to take care of you? You no. big dummy. <laughs> I am going to take care of you. And he has, and he always will. Yeah. The the one that I'll add is, you know, you can get through a lot if you know it's going to end and there's a good thing at the end. You know, when Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. And I actually really like the King James version of that. In my Father's house are many mansions. You know, uh, just kind of that idea that, you know, no matter what happens in this life, we have this awesome thing coming to us. Jesus is going to give us this wonderful, awesome dwelling with him in heaven. And so, and that'll outshine anything here on this earth. And uh, taking that truth to heart can help us be content. Well, audience, that is our episode for today. And with this episode, we have completed our series on the Ten Commandments. So again, uh, let us know if there's a particular question or application regarding any of the commandments that you want us to discuss. We'd be happy to cover your questions in a future episode. If you have those questions, just email me at pjanish at trinitybrilliant.org. That's p.janish at trinitybrilliant.org. Until then, God be with you.